Welcome to Healing and Horsemanship, a podcast exploring the many healing paths we walk with horses. I'm your host, Shannon Ray Riley of Wild Willing Therapeutics and Training. This show is supported by The Herd. The Herd offers monthly bonuses for members, including access to a growing content library on all things health, wellness, and horses. For more on membership, visit wildwilling.com slash podcast. Thank you for joining me on this wild ride. And now, on to the show. everyone welcome to episode six of healing and horsemanship i'm your host shannon ray riley also known as ray 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 riley or simply shannon you could just call me shannon we'll keep it simple but i am actually not here to talk about names (laughs) rather i am here in this episode to talk about the innermost core of our identities and that is our elemental constitutions. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about elemental constitutions, what they are, why we all have them, horses, humans, and other animals alike, and why it's incredibly helpful, if not essential, that we understand them in order to cultivate balance in our lives. How to balance your constitution and your horses through lifestyle, self, and horse care practices and how we might balance our relationships with horses and all of our loved ones through understanding how the elements play a role in our patterns, behaviors, thoughts, feelings, and everything in between. Before we dive into this episode, though, I thought I'd share that this is actually the second recording for this episode. I share that because it's kind of a funny story, at least now that I've been able to calm down about it. So what happened was the first recording was all fully edited and ready to be published yesterday, which was April 29th. But at the very last moment, a glitch happened on my computer and none of my work was saved and the entire episode was lost. This was devastating to say the least, as these episodes can take hours of time to create from recording to editing and publishing, but I'm not here to mope about that. I simply wanted to share that rather frustrating, kind of funny story now that I've been past it, because after I was able to calm myself down from the fit of rage that manifested as actual tears and sent me into a flurry of deep cleaning my entire house. Yeah, that happened. Well, the moral of the story that I found was this. What is meant to be, will be. Clearly, that episode was not meant to see the light of day. At least that's how I have to think about it to keep myself from going insane. But it also revealed something deeper, which I want to touch on in this episode, because it also feels very relevant as I'm speaking to our elemental constitutions, which are essentially our biological blueprints. I'll get into Ayurvedic philosophy on our birth constitutions, but before we go there, I wanted to share a profound nugget of Ayurvedic wisdom. But first off, for those who have never heard of Ayurveda, let's take a step back. Ayurveda is an ancient tradition of medicine that originated in India. Scholars say it is at least 6,000 years old. And to give you some perspective about that time frame, it is at least as old as our ancient bonds with horses. Some think Ayurveda might be older, But I also like to think that its origins were rooted in about the same time frame as when our ancestors began domesticating horses. Ayurveda translates simply to mean the science of life or the wisdom of longevity. Ayur translates as life or longevity and Veda means science, wisdom, or knowledge. 
But something I recently learned about Ayurveda, which makes me somehow love it even more, was in reading Dr. Robert E. Svoboda's book, Prakriti. Dr. Svoboda is a prominent Ayurvedic educator, and he explained in his book that if there is a god or goddess or deity of Ayurveda, it is Mother Nature. He writes, Nature and her ways are truly inscrutable to mortals. You can set out in your life's journey intent on heading west, but if she wills you to go east, your road will wind around until you are pointing eastward. I don't know about you, but I've experienced Mother Nature, quote, correcting me on my path countless times. What happened yesterday with me losing all of my work creating this episode was a frustrating reminder of that, but it also... But it also keeps me humble, reminding me that if nature has other plans, she will make them happen. And spoiler alert, nature always wins. At least I have to believe that because I spent days preparing this episode talking about the wisdom of nature and how we need to fully listen to her in our environments and within our bodies. And then... And then nature decided that I needed a hard reset. So in this new revised episode of the podcast, I decided a lengthy intro about Mother Nature and her wisdom was not only appropriate, but highly necessary. Yep, it turned out that I was really meant to share this episode, the one that opens with me talking about Mother Nature, her inscrutable ways to us mortals, and how her plans for us always topple our own. That is, her plans take precedent over our own only when ours are in conflict with hers. And so I'm realizing that the key is what I've been aiming to talk about in this entire episode is how to not be in conflict with nature. And as I'll get into, nature takes many forms. Nature is our outer ecosystem, it is the universe, and it is our bodies. So you might have heard people talk about right relationship. What does that mean, being in right relationship? I feel that right relationships can take on countless forms and expressions. But what they all have in common is that they are a mutualistic form of symbiotic relationship. That means both individuals benefit from being in relationship together. So, as I mentioned, the ways that we are in relationship to nature is with our external environment, our ecosystem, and our internal environment, our inner ecosystem. So Ayurveda has a word for the nature within us, our internal ecosystem. It is called Prakruti, which translates from Sanskrit to literally mean nature. Prakruti is also called our birth constitution. So our constitution is formed in part through our prenatal development, the lifestyle of our mom as we developed, the health of our parents when we were conceived, and of course, the genetics passed down from our biological family. However, Ayurvedic philosophy also theorizes that our constitution is influenced by our soul. It is believed that when our soul incarnates, it brings its own blueprint for our life. Ayurveda theorizes that we chose our life before coming into it, that we chose our family, our path, our purpose, and especially that we chose the lessons that we were meant to learn. So the thing that you need to remember about our constitution is that according to Ayurveda, it is said to never change. It is set at the moment of our first breath and stays the same until the moment of our last breath. There can, however, be what's called trauma on the birth pulse, meaning that if there was trauma at birth, the prakriti or constitution will be different than what it would be if birth had gone smoothly and without incident. That's a whole different conversation, though, so don't get caught up on the word trauma. Just remember that when it comes to our constitutions, we are born as the truest expression of ourselves. And our greatest work in this life is to live in a way that brings balance to our elemental constitution, 
So Ayurveda teaches us that disease can be caused from becoming distorted from our true nature, becoming lost from ourselves. An Ayurvedic practitioner reads the constitution through the pulse most commonly. This is what's called Nadi Vijnanam, and my teacher calls it the oldest form of blood cell analysis. That isn't to say that a practitioner can read the complete blood count or cholesterol level from reading the pulse. However, one can read the Prakriti, which is our birth pulse, and what's called our Vikruti, which is our present pulse. So Vikruti actually means distorted. And while that sounds intimidating, I know, our present pulse may only truly become distorted when our lifestyle is out of alignment with our elemental constitution. I love doing pulse readings on humans and horses, and it is probably the most surefire way to get an accurate assessment of the birth constitution. So if you're local to my region in Northern California and you'd like to take a deeper look at your elemental constitution, contact me to do a pulse reading with you or your horse. And if you're not local and still want to learn more, you're actually in luck. I've created a constitution assessment for humans and horses, which provides an individualized and in-depth look at your elemental constitution. The assessment is free to herd members at my membership site, and I'll include a link in the show notes. However, all that said, looking at our constitutions does not require a professional as one, you know your body best, and two, if you're genuinely listening to your horse, they will not lie in telling you about theirs. So after you hear about the different constitutional types, I'm sure you'll have an idea which type you resonate with or seems most like your horse. And after all, coming home to our true nature is about deeply listening to our innate wisdom. So reflect, be honest and unflinching in your self-assessment. Also note that I have added in the word elemental when talking about our birth constitutions just to remind us that the elements are an entry point for us to understand nature's language and how she works. When I say elemental, I don't mean the periodic table of elements though. I'm talking about what Ayurveda calls the five great elements known as Panchamahabhutas in Sanskrit. These five elements are ether, air, fire, water, and earth. So I'm going to break down how the five elements inform our constitutions and the emotional, energetic, and physical qualities possessed by each constitutional type. But first, let's take a deeper look at the elements. So first, ether. Ether is the space which exists only as the distances that separate matter. Ether is empty space. Second, air. Air is the gaseous state of matter. Think of wind. Third, fire. Fire is the power that can convert a substance from solid to liquid to gas or vice versa. Fourth, water. Water is the liquid state of matter. And finally, earth. Earth is the solid state of matter. So in Ayurveda theory... The five elements are paired or combined together to form what are called the three doshas, vata, pitta, and kapha. There are no English words to directly translate each of the doshas, so I'm just going to use each dosha's name, and then I will give you a representation of it that's easy to remember. So the three doshas are forces, not substances, and Dr. Svoboda explains that vata, pitta, and kapha are called doshas because the word dosha means a thing that can go out of whack. He writes, when vata, pitta, and kapha are out of balance with one another, the system is bound to lose its balance. So again, Ayurveda is all about that harmony with our elemental constitution in our everyday life. The first dosha, vata, is made of ether and air. Vata governs kinetic energy, is most associated with the nervous system and spirit, and controls all body movement, ingestive, peristaltic, and respiratory actions in the body. Think of vata as being represented by air. 
The second dosha, pitta, is fire and water. Pitta governs the balance between kinetic and potential energies, is associated with focus, perception, understanding, and transformation, and controls all metabolic, digestive, and assimilative processes in the body. Pitta can be represented as fire. And then kapha is water and earth. Kapha governs potential energy, is associated with the physical tissues, and controls body stability, lubrication, biochemical functions, and downward motions in the body. Kapha can be represented as water. So remember, don't get lost on the word dosha. I know Sanskrit is tricky if you're new to it. Just remember air, fire, and water. We're going to talk about the three doshas in terms of those elemental types in our constitutions. So now that we know about the different types or doshas, and we've covered how a constitution is formed, let's see what a constitution might look like. So we can all be any combination of the different types or doshas. We can even be equally balanced portions of each of the different types or doshas. That is called tridoshic. However, it is definitely more rare. Most of us, though, possess a primary and a secondary dosha or type. For example, I am primary vata, air, and secondary kapha, water. This also means that my pitta, fire, is stable. And then each dosha or type has different qualities called gunas, which we are not going to dive into today because that's just a lot. But I think it's important to mention because we could all be in a room filled with other air and water type constitutions, but each of us is going to be completely unique because there's different qualities that make each of the elements or the doshas completely unique. We can think of our dosha or type as the quantitative data of our constitution, meaning we have this percentage air and this percentage water as a primary or secondary. And then we can think of the quality of the dosha or type that we are as the qualitative data. For example, I am a vata subtle, kapha wet. And to give you an idea, each of the doshas has different qualities, such as air can be light, dry, cold, rough, subtle, mobile, and clear. Just like you might be out at the coast and it's a really cold wind versus somewhere inland, it's going to be more of a dry wind. All right, so now that you have an idea of what a different constitution could look like, let's dive into exactly what each type is about. Starting with Vata, the air type. So air constitutions are ruled by change. They are flighty, quick to move or change directions, and prone to anxiety and worry. Air types run cold and dry. They are ruled by the senses of sound and touch, meaning that they often have acute hearing and are sensitive to sound. They may actually pick up on high-pitched frequencies that no one else around seems to hear, and sometimes loud or dissonant sounds can be physically painful or cause sensory overload. Air types often think in words and remember sounds easily. And then air types usually are not very touchy-feely with their affection as they dissociate from their bodies and are uncomfortable or even jumpy in their own skin. However, these are the types that love an oily hot stone massage just placing a big rock on their belly or on their sacrum actually helps them feel that part of their body and feel grounded and safe. They are often also shallow breathers, or for horses, they often have their head strained so high up, so getting anything to pull them downward, feeling their fingers or their toes, or getting a horse's head down is so good for them. Physically, air types are often petite, long-legged, thin, very tall or very short, have irregular features, and do not put on weight easily. These are your hard keepers, the ones always struggling to keep on weight, 
and especially the seniors. So regardless of our constitution, we all go through changes and milestones in our life. At the early childhood stage, we are all kapha water. We are bouncy, we are cheeks, we are full of fat tissue, and this is healthy. And at the pitta fire stage of life, we are all raging hormones, rebellion, ambition, personal development, purpose. And then in our elderhood, we are all going back to spirit, our body weakens, eventually our bodies might atrophy, everything gets dry. This is vata, air, state of life. So for our super seniors, as my teacher would say, the air constitution needs every meal to be so soupy, brothy, or just moist and heavy that it needs to be in a bowl. So think of our elder horses needing to eat in a really deep grain pan so that it's so soupy. Get in the oil, get in all the chia seeds, and just really nourish these guys. Foods that this constitution craves are astringent, salty, dry, and crunchy. Of course, none of the things that they need. All of the foods that aggravate their already dry bodies. Their appetite is also irregular, which really doesn't help. These are the ones that need to put on weight so bad, yet they're not hungry somehow. They may also eat ravenously one day, and then the next day only nibble or graze or eat like birds. Their go-to stress response is flight. These are the Arabians that are always snorty, head held high, tail straight up towards the sky. They leave their bodies quite easily. They may have to move to get their nervous energy out. They might pace, fidget, twitch, or with horses, these are the weavers and the cribbers. Energetically, these constitutional types are creative, spiritual, organized, disciplined, easily inspired. They're always channeling new ideas, but they do not have the follow-through to actually bring them into reality. They are empathic, highly sensitive to their surroundings and the energies of those around them, flexible, easily influenced, and can be fanatic about new things or new trends, but then they quickly move on and change when it suits them. They are very adaptable, maybe to a fault because they might lose themselves in all that adapting. Mentally, they can be restless, easily distracted, scattered, indecisive, or spacey. Physically, they tend to have dry skin, dry hair, brittle nails that they tend to chew on or bite, they might even grind their jaw or have TMJ issues, suffer from insomnia, hyperactivity, low blood pressure, or stiff cracking joints, and even neuromuscular problems. All right, now on to the Pitta fire constitutions. Fire types are ruled by focus, they are highly passionate and driven, and they are prone to anger and resentment. These folks run hot and dry. They are ruled by vision and taste, meaning that they easily visualize everything they think about. They visualize their goals and their dreams, their manifestors. They tend to primarily remember images, and they use images to relate words and feelings together. They may be the natural food critic, and like my husband, they may not be picky, but what we call particular about taste or texture, just particular. Physically, fire types have moderate muscular builds, they gain weight evenly, and they do not have trouble gaining or losing weight, but they do gain muscle easily. They are natural bodybuilders or natural athletes or performers. Foods they crave are spicy, pungent, sour, and sweet. Essentially, anything that increases the heat. <laughs> Easy to remember, and that rhymed. And their appetite is steady. They prefer to have routine meals around the same time each day. This is also the horse that, given three meals a day, or if they're on a slow feeder, which has run out of hay, 
they're the ones attacking the wall of the corral or stall and do not want any affection until they've ingested a good amount of food. Needless to say, fire types get hangry if their food or their regular mealtime is interfered with. Their go-to stress response is fights and to react and confront the problem or stressor head on. They are natural warriors. Just don't poke, prod, or underestimate the aggression potential of Pitta fire horses. Energetically, they are highly confident leaders, incredibly intelligent, passionate, focused, independent, sharp-witted, courageous, outgoing, willful, determined, ambitious, highly realistic, solution-oriented, and they are all about making things happen. Emotionally, they can tend to anger, resentment, mistrust, hate, jealousy, and aggression. Mentally, they can be defensive, destructive, critical, opinionated, self-centered, prideful, and sharp-tongued, and in terms of being critical, they are often their own worst self-critic. And then in terms of being sharp-tongued, the tongue is actually an expression or exit point of fire. So literally sharp-tongued, if you are in the receiving end of their hate or their wrath, oh boy, look out because their words can literally aim to like poke holes in you or make you bleed like a blade. And then physically, they tend to have inflammation, bleeding gums, bleeding nose, high blood pressure, skin rashes, burning sensations, diarrhea, ulcers, headaches, acid reflux, heartburn, and they bruise easily. Okay, now diving into kapha, the water constitution. I also think of kapha, though, as mostly earth. Although I guess water is an apt description of it because as I'm going to talk about, kapha rules the waterworks of the body. But remember, each dosha is a combination of two elements. So with vata, the air type, we have ether and air. With pitta, the fire type, we have fire and water. And with kapha, the water type, we have water and earth. So both pitta and kapha can be very similar in how they present constitutionally because they both have the water element. Kapha water constitutions are ruled by nourishment. They are very compassionate and nurturing, and they are prone to depression and grief. Water types run cool and damp. They are ruled by taste and smell, senses that are both ruled by the earthly realm. And I will say this, if you are having trouble motivating a horse who you think is an earth or water horse, they might seem stubborn, dull, lethargic, or slow to process cues, food rewards will be an absolute game changer. Kapha constitutions will work for food. And as a secondary kapha, I also raise my hand that I will work for food as well. So physically, though, these types have a solid frame, big bones, juicy and nourished tissues, fat padding, and they may have trouble losing weight. These are the people who say they look at food and gain weight. And sadly, they often love food so much, but often find themselves having to be on diets for one reason or another. But actually, this constitution is so naturally healthy as long as they exercise frequently. And the only trouble with that is kapha water types often have trouble motivating themselves to actually get out of the house, get off the couch, get out of bed, and move, moving their tissues. Moving their tissues is essential as water edema will build up very easily and their bodies just get weighed down by all of the inertia, all of the potential energy that they are ruled by. But if they're able to exercise often, they are natural athletes, so strong, 
they are like the linebackers who are like quick somehow on their feet despite their massive size. So when this constitution is really taking care of themselves, they can be a force of nature or a force to be reckoned with, honestly. And they can actually outlast the other constitutions ruled by fire and air because water has such a longevity to it. They can really go the distance. They can be the marathon runners. They just have to find ways to consistently motivate themselves. Foods that they crave are sweet and salty, and their appetite is prominent but stable. However, they can emotionally eat and cause themselves to overeat. Their stress response is to freeze, shut down, withdraw, hold back, suppress, or deny emotions. These are also the people who will tell you persistently that they're fine, but you can just tell from their body language, their energy, or even their tone of voice that they're not fine, that they need support. They are often the people too who suffer from such extreme grief or depression that they can hide their emotions so well and almost be like the sunshine on a cloudy day for people who wear their emotions more on their sleeves that no one might know how much they're truly suffering. They might just keep it all bottled up inside. And because energetically they are such natural caretakers and humanitarians, they will definitely put their emotions and their baggage on the back burner so that they can take care of the person in front of them. These are also often... The ponies in those lesson programs who you see that look as though their spirit has been broken years ago and somehow they just continue to let kids ride them and kick their ribs and yank on their mouths with harsh bits. They sort of have this glazed over look in their eye as though they've given up on fighting and really they are probably that constitution that is just a peacemaker, doesn't want to rock the boat. And so even in an abusive relationship, they're going to stick it out and they're going to put up with it because they might feel like they don't deserve anything better already. So kapha water types are actually the ones that we have to advocate for because they won't often advocate for themselves. They are the natural mamas and papas of the world. They are incredibly responsible, empathic, compassionate, calm, stable, sympathetic, loyal, forgiving, content, patient, peaceful, consistent, and thoughtful. On the other hand, though, emotionally, they contend to depression, grief, apathy, melancholy, codependency, and attachment. Like I mentioned with the school ponies, they actually, whatever species they are, might find themselves in an abusive relationship that started out as love-driven but quickly became abusive or codependent, whether it's physically or emotionally abusive, because they want to take care of the other person, the abuser, more than themselves. Now, mentally, they tend to be unmotivated, self-pitying, lethargic, unconfident, have low self-esteem. They might be greedy, insensitive, materialistic, controlling, needy, and comfort or luxury-driven. Physically, their symptoms can look like high cholesterol, slow metabolism, obesity, asthma, water retention, excess tartar, low blood pressure, hypothyroid, edema, and hypertension. Okay, so we just covered a whole lot. It might feel confusing or overwhelming or especially hard to understand right now at the beginning if you're new to these Sanskrit terms or Ayurveda especially. So I just want to step back and emphasize that if you're feeling like, how can I ever understand or put this all together? Just honestly take a step outside, look around your environment, and visualize that everything you see around you, 
not exactly the trees or the grass per se, but the elements that support all the life you see around you are equally present within your inner ecosystem. Look around or even just close your eyes and feel your environment. Is the nature around you very windy? Is it hot, cold? Does it feel dry or even damp? Experience the nature around you according to the elements and then you'll really be able to get a sense of why your behaviors, your beliefs, your perceptions of the world are colored by the elements because if you are predisposed to dryness because of your airy nature, then you're going to have perhaps irregular features. You're going to have perhaps trouble putting on weight. You're going to have restlessness. You might have dry chapped lips or brittle nails or split ends that easily break off at the end of your hair. You might have trouble living in one place. You might want to travel the whole world. You might have trouble keeping one job. (laughs) You might flit around and even change your dreams and goals every other day. But the elements that make us up, they don't change their ways. It's really up to us to understand their workings and seek to balance them if they become excessive or if they become deficient. And then, of course, there's the matter of horses. So using this knowledge of our elemental constitutions can bring us into even greater harmony with horses through helping them to cultivate their strengths and being realistic about their weaknesses and our own. So remember that every constitution has its innate strengths and its vulnerabilities or weaknesses. And in relationship, we will likely find that we work best or relate best to certain constitution types more than others. As a horse trainer, I can safely say that there are horses that trigger me more than others or who bring more challenges during the training process. The funny thing is, though, the horses who have been the most challenging for me are always the best teachers. And these horses, coincidentally, have become part of my herd. And I've also found that other trainers tend to adopt the horses who are, in a sense, the greatest puzzles, the ones that they can't figure out or who don't tick as the horses that they work with normally do. Sometimes the greatest challenge for us can be the one that mirrors us the most because we look at ourselves so closely. We look at ourselves in the mirror every day that it's somehow easy for us to be blinded to what we don't want to look at, to what's so triggering, to what's the cringiest for us to really contemplate or address or just simply acknowledge. And so, of course, how people say horses are our mirrors, well, they all can reflect us in some way, good or bad. But I think those that become our herd members, our soulmates, they can complement our constitution in ways that we can either resonate and understand the world through their eyes maybe easier, but then they have similar tendencies. So at the same time, if we're both not showing up fully, and we're both going to our pitfalls, our common pitfalls. So we are essentially just going to be chasing each other around, but losing sight of where we started and where we want to go. Also, for example, I am predominantly an air type or vata. And so the horses who are the most vata are not fun for me to go on trail rides with. And the reason being that some people might love jigging for hours on end, but I certainly do not. I need consistency or my nervous system will be fried because that's my weakest tendency. So I'll take the Kaffa horse on the trail ride, even if it means that I have to keep motivating them, motivating them to keep pushing forward. I'd prefer that to the horse that I'm pulling back on and getting spooked for every time that they spook. 
But then when I'm in a smaller container, I really enjoy working with the Vata horses because I can bring my secondary water, Kapha nature in and give them all the patience and all the reassurance because I'm feeling safe in my environment. I'm not out of my element in a new place and on edge myself. So I can bring all the compassion, all the stability and I can watch them melt through my consistency versus me getting triggered by their spookiness and vice versa. And then we just create a vicious cycle back and forth. As you get to know your constitution deeply, you will get a sense of your innate horsemanship style. And I just encourage us all to have our own style for that reason, because we are all individuals. And I think it's easy for us to get trapped in a mechanistic approach when we outsource our horsemanship skills to online tutorials and how-to videos or going to clinics and then copying and pasting the approach that we see in front of us, but we're only practicing it over like a two to four day period. And so we're not truly integrating or allowing our own emergent spontaneous feel to take over and inform how we're responding to this horse and being in communication. I think we all have our own way of being with horses and horses have their own ways of communicating with them because of the elemental workings and constitutions. So for example, I can say do XYZ with an air constitution or I can say, do this for a water constitution. But there are still so many subtle intricacies when you get down to the quality, when you get down to the horse's history, and then you have to look at your own constitution and how you relate to that. So I guess it's a beautiful thing that when you learn about elemental constitutions, you can really take things with a grain of salt because there is no standard approach. There should be no standardized approach other than doing important safety practices so that we can all stay stay as safe as possible with our horses. But when it comes to forming relationships, wow. I mean, you can't standardize that because we're all different. And why do you want to have an average relationship. You want to have the relationship that's right for you and the horse. And here we are circling back to being in right relationship. So being in right relationship with our horses, that is something that we could talk for days about easily. But for now, I will give you my takeaway lessons on how I approach working with different constitutional types in horsemanship. First, my lessons from working with the Vata horse or air constitution. It's actually hard to pick just one lesson because the horse that has been in my life from age 11 to now to this day, she is my sole heart horse and she is now 26 years old. So I am caring for her now in her Vata stage of life or even more Vata stage of life as a super senior and having spent the last 16 now 17 years together there are countless things that I could say about working with a vata horse but actually I've sort of already mentioned that I learned a hard boundary for me I will not take the vata horse out on a trail ride and I learned this the hard way from my dear vata horse Jasmine I have experienced enough jigging on narrow steep trails for my lifetime so no thank you not going to be an endurance rider on an arabian in this lifetime but other people will certainly love that just not for me so how we can all help support vata horses in our horsemanship though is to bring them stability to allow them full freedom of expression because these horses are ruled by changeability. They need freedom to run. They need freedom to change their mind. They need freedom to spook and be big and be high-headed and be even dramatic. They 
are the ones who are going to spook at all the shadows and all the ghosts coming out of the woodwork. So if you have a heart problem, I don't recommend working with this horse, to be honest. But if you're a bit of an adrenaline junkie, they can be the most fun horses to work with. At the end of the day, though, they are ruled by their nervous system, and so they can easily overstimulate or fry themselves doing too much too quickly. So we need to calm their flight impulse by bringing in grounded, slow, consistent methods. And then allow them their outbursts, of course. We're not going to rein them in and expect that we could really just force or pull on the reins to get them to slow down. Like, they need to go and have spurts of energy where they're just, like, getting their crazy energy out. But the more that we can consistently accept that side of them and not demonize them, we will take the fear away. We will take the guilt and shame away from that response that it so often gets. And as an air dominant type myself, I can say too that this is the human who is so prone to guilt and shame that I need to be in a relationship to people who will not guilt trip me over little things, who will not shame me because I never have bad intentions. The air constitution likely never intentionally means harm. For instance, as a new horse owner, I was doing things a certain way and then years went by and I learned I was not doing things the right way for my horse. And so carrying this guilt around like a heavy weight on my shoulders for years was just something that I did unconsciously. And it was like I had to berate myself for something that I didn't even intend. And it didn't do anything good for my horse. It didn't do anything good for me. So the vatas need to let themselves off the hook when they didn't intend harm. Accidents happen. And you don't know what you don't know until you know. So let's just have the integrity to say that there is no such thing as perfection We are all doing the best that we can as horse guardians who just want the best for them. So put your shame away. It's not going to do anyone any good. And if you find yourself being shamed by others, you should be running to the hills from them. Stop running from all the irrational fears that you have and the what-if worries run from the people or the things who would actually cause you harm. And to do that, you have to have an open, honest, clear line of communication with your fear. Don't just stuff it down. Allow it to express itself because when it does, it's going to tell you what you truly need to fear. But otherwise, it's just excited, nervous energy. And I know there's so much of that in abundance in the air constitution that it's hard to tell the difference. But there is a difference between fear and excited, eager, nervous energy. To really feel the difference, though, you need to know how it feels to be grounded. And then things become more clear. So the air constitutions need grounding. They need deep breathing. They need consistency so that they can safely and freely express their wild, abundant energy. And then lessons from the pitta horse. My favorite story about a pitta horse is actually one that I didn't work with personally. Although I would say if there is, <laughs> if there is an attack horse in your life, this is the pitta horse who's been pushed too far. This is my sweet Mustang Sage, who was an attack horse when I met her. But I'm not going to go into her story here because my most concise lesson from a pitta horse is actually how they can be so calculating in their vengeance if you wrong them. Or in this case, if they feel threatened. So remember that 
Pitta or fire constitutions are the natural warriors and their stress responses fight so they confront their fears head on. (laughs) So this story about the Pitta horse was of a mare who was receiving an acupuncture treatment from a vet under the supervision of my mentor and this mare was struggling with really excessive hormones, hormone and liver imbalance, and the acupuncture treatment was targeting the liver meridian, which if you know acupuncture, acupressure, or traditional Chinese medicine, the liver meridian runs down the hind leg, which is a very sketchy place to be close to when you have a horse with raging hormones who's uncomfortable who might not want you anywhere close to them. So as this vet was getting ready to put a needle in one of the liver points on the hind leg, he was standing far enough to the side and behind the horse so that he was out of the kick zone. However, these horses, Pitta, Pitta constitution in general, are so, so intelligent. And so this mare was just waiting, waiting for him to get into the right position. So this mare waited until the vet was at the right point. He was holding an acupuncture needle between his thumb and his index finger. And with one swift kick, this mare kicked back and wound up kicking the needle out of his hand. I am so impressed by this, and I'm really happy that no one got hurt in this exchange. And of course, the treatment wound up being successful. But this is the potential (laughs) to go wrong with the pit horse. They are not the ones to poke or prod or especially try to force or break. Because one, they do not forget. And two, they do not easily forgive Three, they already are predisposed to having trust issues. So if you truly take the time to earn their trust and bypass all of their fight mechanisms, you can find one of the most profound, loyal, amazing, joyful relationships. But you really cannot skip steps here. I believe that these are the horses who are teaching us that the era of breaking horses is over. These are the ones that will put up a fight because even when you think that you've subdued or dominated them, oh, just wait. But unfortunately, we have also come up with so many ways of subduing horses that these are probably the ones who will suffer the most at the hands of humans because they are so misunderstood. If they're allowed to be sovereign, if they're given the freedom to show what they're capable of, they're going to impress you beyond belief. And they're actually probably going to show you up and outsmart you in so many ways too. These are the horses who you can take a step back and you can just let them go. Watch them shine, watch them perform, watch them do their thing because they know what to do. They don't have to be shown much. And then they're just on it. They know the tasks. As soon as they've been shown it once, they know it by heart. All right. Now lessons from a Kapha water constitution horse. I feel like Kaphas can be the martyrs of the world because they can be saints. They can be angels, heaven sent. They might take a bullet for you. They might lay down their life so that you can get up on their back and then they will go and go and go until there's no breath left, until there's no strength left in their back. But they're the martyrs because they're often misunderstood, they're often mistreated because they're so good-natured, easy-tempered, they're so go-with-the-flow and do not rock the boat or upset the status quo that they're the doormats and people just take for granted their good nature. They take for granted that they don't easily put up a boundary and advocate for themselves. The Kaffa horses are also known as energy conservers. <laughs> they, they will do the task, but they might take their sweet time with it. 
and this might drive some people crazy, but they will do what they're asked if it's within their scope to do it. And if an earth horse or a water horse honestly can't carry out a task, it's usually because there's immense pain getting in the way. It's either a misunderstanding that you haven't really taken the time to show them, and they might need more time than the other constitutions, given the slow nature of kapha. Or they might know exactly what you need them to do, but they're suffering such excruciating pain that it's just not, it's not possible for them. And the earth water horse who really taught me this was one of my client's horses who had been a working ranch horse in Kansas until he was about six or so, I believe. And in that time, he must have blown out his hawk and his stifle so badly that it took about a year of him being with us that he started getting hawk injections. But before even that point, we realized quickly that you could flog this horse to death, not that we would ever do that. But in the wrong hands, this horse could be flogged to death and it wouldn't get more than a step or two. He just, his eyes would glaze over with more intense pressure especially to drive him forward. And it was like the expression on his face saying, I can't do what you're asking, so what's the point in pretending? Now that he's had surgery and he's been in recovery for a year, this is the horse that I can take a stick with a plastic bag tied to the end of it and just barely give it a wave or a swish in the air and he will go into the most graceful trot just as if he's trotting on air and he's feeling so good and if if you find any slowness or just hints of stubbornness like him not wanting to work even though he's a workhorse he does want to work but he might not want to like give you spurts of intense energy but if you bring out the food oh my god it's just so adorable how animated and excited he becomes he will lope to you from a dead stop and he becomes a little bit too smart about the food where you have to be careful what you're teaching him what exact patterns you're teaching him to redo or replicate yeah in in a nutshell the water horse is the one who can become a martyr because they're such a saint and they're such a hard worker that they can easily give you their all and it might not be enough and people don't understand that that if they're not able to do more do what you're asking it's because they literally don't have it in them so we're asking too much of these horses so every one of these constitutions has their own unique ticks their own unique ways of expressing themselves and especially their own unique balance when it comes to them feeling good in their bodies and feeling fulfillment. But more than anything, learning about our elemental constitutions can allow us to find better ways to partner with these horses. And yes, that includes doing self-care because I wish that we could just call horse training human training, seeing as everything we do ultimately works on ourselves and our horsemanship. But we're still going to come up short if we're not taking care of our bodies, if we're not taking care of our minds and doing everyday lifestyle practices that can help us reach harmony and balance with our elemental constitution. We're of no good to our horses if we're not at harmony within ourselves. And as Dr. Svoboda puts it, health in Ayurveda means harmony, and there is really no limit to the degree of balance that a sincere harmony seeker can achieve. I've been studying Ayurveda for over a decade now, and I learn new things to this day about our constitution and how to find harmony in our health. So start somewhere. And if you want to go even further in learning about your or your horse's elemental constitution, visit the herd, my membership site. Once you become a member, you can take the constitution assessment, which will provide individualized answers about your unique balance point or your horse's. 
Thank you so much for being here with me in this episode, and I'm really excited to keep going on this journey with you. It's been incredible doing this podcast so far, and we're really only just getting started. So I'm excited to share more stories with you down the road, and please let me know what you think of this episode. I hope to see Ayurveda becoming a well-known term, especially in the horse world. We and our horses need it. So let me know what you think and be sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to these stories on healing and horsemanship. If you're moved by this episode, please rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to help the show grow. This show is supported by The Herd. The Herd offers monthly bonuses for members, including access to a growing content library on all things health, wellness, and horses. Join today at wildwhaling.com herd membership. And until next time, I wish you harmony in your health and with horses.